So I want to do, I want to ask a question that, you know, like when you give a shiur, your aspiration is always to make a chidush, to, to say something new and innovative. I don't know how new or innovative this is, but I want to start with a question which itself is a chidush, and I, I, I can be fairly certain that no shiur in the history of the Jewish people has ever begun with this question. The question is, is Abe Vigoda alive or dead? Who? who? You know who Abe Vigoda is. Abe Vigoda was a was he was a, a television personality. He was in the Godfather. He was an actor. He was in the Godfather. He was in. Uh, remember that show in the seventies, uh, Barney Miller. Oh my goodness! Uh, there, you recognize this picture. Anyway, Abe Vigoda. Can, he's a Jew. Yeah. He's a, no, that is not my picture. <laughs> so Abe Vigoda, God bless. Well, yeah, yeah. Abe Vigoda, God bless, is going to turn 95 in a couple of months, and he's still alive and kicking. But way back when, there was one of these false rumors that he had died. And like Mark Twain, who had to let the newspaper know that rumors of his death had been greatly exaggerated, Vigoda was still alive, and it became something of like a running joke, is Abe Vigoda alive or dead? Since even now he's 95, but 50 years ago he was playing a character who was an old man, right? Because he had this kind of like hound, hound dog face and wrinkly face. He, was, he looked prematurely old. So the fact that he's still alive is, is, is really remarkable. People have thought 50 years ago he was an old man. So somebody set up a website, abevagoda.com, that you can check at any moment, day or night, and it tells you his status. Abe Vigoda still alive. It's like... Uh, you know, Generalis- Generalissimo Francisco Franco. You remember that old bit from Saturday Night Live? Franco, Franco was like on the death watch for a long time. He lingered, like, you know, until he died. And every night on the news, they would announce Generalissimo Francisco Franco clings to life. And then when he finally died, Chevy Chase, on, on, in the early years of Saturday Night Live, had this routine where every week for that whole year would announce Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead. <laughs> so this question, this question uh, uh, of, uh, you know, here we're talking, you know, we know this from like celebrity watch and popular culture, you know, like when some aging actor or celebrity or someone is uh, uh, on the death watch. So the news will always give you those kinds of updates. And it's almost, I mean, besides the fact that these people, of course, have families and loved ones and etc. But for the paparazzi-ish type, it, it just turns into another thing to, for the gossip columns. Lahavdil elef alfei havdolot. In this week's Parsha, we have a similar phenomena, but a completely different effect. As I'll try to lay out for you, in the encounter between the brothers and the man they do not know is Yosef. The man they do not know is their brother. There's this obsession with, is Yaakov Avinu alive or dead? Oda Avinu Chai? Question mark should be the title of this year. Now that phrase, Oda Avinu Chai, which we know from a different context. Where do we know that phrase from? Oda Vinuchai? The phrase itself... Kalbach. The phrase, it, the phrase itself does not actually appear in the Tanakh, although different iterations of it do. But Kalbach, of course, had the famous song. I'll do something else Rabbi Bravner never does. I'll play Kalbach song. Kalbach said, said this was his, the greatest nigun he wrote, or one of the greatest nigunim that he, that he ever wrote. He, you know the story of how he wrote this niggin? Uh, this is a great story. This is a great story. Right, so in 1964, in 1964, uh, Karl Bach uh, snuck into Prague for Purim. Purim 1964. I once heard him tell this story. It was the middle of the night when he told the story. I once spent like a very memorable Motzei Shabbos with him and a small group of people. Uh, it, like Adolat Shachar. Like afterwards, we went we davened, and he 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 told the story that in 1964, uh, he 
on a whim almost, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but he snuck into Prague, which was then, of course, behind the Iron Curtain. And he had an idea that he went with, a, he took, a, he took a Megillah Sester with him, and he was going to lane Megillah Sester, because he's a descendant of uh, the Maharal, Ekshu, I don't know how he knows that, but he's a descendant. He got this feeling he wanted to go to see the Maharal, to go to the Altenoy Shul in, in Prague. So he gets to Prague, long story short, he finds someone who knows, like the way he told the story, it was like, you know, one nace after another, and maybe there's some truth even to how the story happened, but it doesn't matter. So he finds like one person who like knew what was going on in the Jewish underground in Prague, and he said, I want to get all the young people together. So they did it like in a basement somewhere, I think, I don't know exactly, uh, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure the people that record all of the Karlbach stories like have all the details. <coughs> But they got, I don't know, whatever it was, 60, 70, 80 kids, teenagers, young people together. And he laid Megillah Esther, and then they had a kumsitz. And he looked out at these people, and he said, uh, he said, ah, gewalt, am Yisrael chai. Am Yisrael chai. And he, he says he wrote the song on the spot. And it was perfect, because these, none of these people knew two letters of alphabet, let alone two words of Hebrew. So they couldn't sing his songs along with him. The nigunim, of course, you can hum. But the words, you know, the songs they couldn't sing. But Am Yisrael, it's a very simple song. Am Yisrael Chai, Odavinu Chai. So he was able to teach the words. And he said they sang it all night long. They sang and they danced. Am Yisrael Chai, Odavinu Chai. They sang, he says, in the morning, like Alos Shachar. There was one pair of tefillin in all of Prague, the pair that he had brought with him. So everybody put on his tefillin. I think yeah, the way he told the story, I think he said the boys, the girls, everybody put on the, put on the tefillin. And that was, this was Purim in Prague, 1964. And then when he goes back to New York, that song becomes the anthem of the triple SJ of the, of the Soviet Jewry uh, movement. Am Yisrael Chai. Od Our father Yisrael Saba still lives. But of course, in our parasha, it's not a declaration. It's more appears as a question, a very angst-ridden question. Right? that Yosef, in his disguise, keeps asking. So just look at the psukim. You see that's, that, that, I mean, these are just selected psukim over the course of one, two, three, four, five, six, six prakim, starting already from last week's parasha. This fixation on Yaakov Avinu. The action is largely taking place in Mitzrayim, with one central scene taking place back in where the brothers are describing what happened in Mitzrayim. So the, the action itself is taking place in, back in, 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 in Knaan, but they're, it's describing, it's narrating for us what had happened. And of course, as usually the case, when you have a story twice told, the way it's told to us happening in Mitzrayim and the way then it's narrated back to us in the mouth of Yehuda is not exactly the same which raises all types of questions. But the fixation, you can see the words I bolded, the fixation on Av. Perek Mem Aleph, V'yikra Yosef et Shem HaBachor This is before the brothers show up. This is Yosef has gotten out of prison, he's established himself, he's, he's Mishneh Paro, Mishneh Melech. he's succeeding, he's married, he has a wife, he's got two kids, and the Eldest child he names Menashe. Menashe means Nishkach, forgotten. Ki ki nasheni Elokim et kol amali vet kol beit avi. It's a strange idea. I'm calling him forgotten because I've forgotten all of my struggles and I've forgotten. I forgot my father. I forgot my father's house. Now maybe that, what is it that he wants to forget? Well, the, you know, the brothers, essentially. But unless he doesn't say, I forgot that my brothers sold me down the river. I forgot Beit Avi. The house of my father. Now presumably the thing that he is pleased to forget, but what does it mean that he forgot? In other words, let me, let me call my son... Let me call my son forgetfulness to remind me that I've forgotten. But what about the, the opposite approach, that he felt that he was, he was the one that was abandoned and, uh, and, and that that was what was supposed to happen? 
And so he forgotten them. He was forgetting. He's suppressing. He's suppressing. Right. But in other words, which, what, what kind of suppression is this? It's either according to that midrashic idea which you're putting forth, or the simple pshat, right? What kind of forgetfulness? It's at, at most, it's a kind of suppressing the memory, but it's not doing a very good job of suppressing the memory because the name that you choose, right, to indicate the forgetfulness is itself going to be an ever-present reminder, right? You know, like, you know, we have, a, we have this custom that you name children after past loved ones. So hopefully you name your children after your own great-grandparents, right? So your grandparents are there, and your parents, certainly your parents are there. A terrible thing to have to name your own child after one of your parents, or the Rahmanas, it happens, but we hope, uh, we hope uh, you know, that, that doesn't happen. Um, but you know, imagine somebody who loses a, loses a parent. Imagine a, somebody who's like, uh, loses a parent at a very young age loses both parents in a tragic accident. They're a little kid. They're five, six, seven, eight years old. Their parents are killed uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in an accident. And their parents' names, I don't know, were Avram and Sarah. And they named their kids Avram and Sarah. So what is that an indication of? That they've forgotten their parents? Or that they are remembering their parents? And every interaction with... with uh, with their children, little Avram and little Sarah are reminding them of their parents. I was at a bat mitzvah not long ago, of a, a case like this, where uh, uh, the mother of the bat mitzvah, her mother died quite young. Her mother died when the mother of the bat mitzvah was a teenager, I think, died of cancer. <coughs> and the daughter, the eldest daughter, is named after her mother, obviously. And at the bat mitzvah of this girl, all the mother spoke about was her mother. Right? He said, we named you, whatever her name was, it was Tova, the Gittel, I don't know, whatever it was. They, they named the, she spoke about the daughter that we gave you the name after my mother, and she spoke about her mother, and it was, of course, a tearjerker, and the whole thing, the whole house came down, right? Is that an indication that she's forgotten? Adarabha. Quite, quite the opposite. But look what happens now. Perik Membet. Ve'omer le'em Yaakov avihem. After they come back, Having, having uh, left Shimon behind. Shimon, remember, they, the first time they go down, Yosef orchestrates the plot, takes Shimon into custody, says, you know, if you bring back your youngest brother, Binyamin, then I'll know that you're not spies. So they go back and they tell, instead of coming back with all the food, they, they come back, one brother short. Ve'yomer aleihem Yaakov avihem. That's not so unusual, but it's unnecessary. The Pesach would have made perfect sense. Ve'yomer aleihem Yaakov, dot, dot, dot. It's not terribly unusual that a figure should have a title like that, avihem, right? But the repetition of the name and the title it almost jumps off the page. Oti shikaltem. Shachul shchula. Shikul banim is this unique word in Hebrew for loss of children. There's a special word to describe the kind of mourning, the kind of status that someone has when a child has died. In English, there's no equivalent. But in English, we have what we, in Hebrew, you also have it, the idea of an alman or an almana. That having suffered the death of a spouse is a category unto its own. Yatom, orphan, having suffered the death of a parent. In, in Hebrew, we, someone's a yatom, even if they lose only one, but generally in English, an orphan is somebody who's lost both parents. But, uh, but in Hebrew, you're a yat- if, if your mother's alive and your father passed away, you're a yatom for your father. But in Hebrew, there's a special word for someone who has suffered the loss of, of children. And in, unfortunately, in modern Hebrew, it's come back with full force. It's the word that's reserved, not exclusively, but particularly for people who have lost children in the army. Right? The mishpachot shchulot, the families who have lost sons or daughters uh, in the 
in the uh, in the army in wars etc. Otishikaltim, you have caused me to be shachuv. Yosef enenu the Shimon enenu that Binyamin tikachu alai hayukulanu. There's no Yosef. There's no Shimon. And now you want to take Binyamin? Enenu, enenu. I mean, the poetry just, you know, jumps right off the page. What's the opposite of enenu? Yesh. Or, in a more poetic sense? Od. Odenu. Right? The word which will now come up again and again. So then Ruvain comes up with this cockamamie, ridiculous plan. No, 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 you can trust us to take Binyamin, and if not, you can kill my own kids, meaning you can kill your grandchildren. Rashi very clearly says, you know, Yaakov, like, you know, Yaakov does one of these, bangs his head, says, what an idiot son I have. Right? That's That's meant to reassure me? That's meant to comfort me? That'll be, that'll make me feel better? I'll lose one of my children. Or I'll lose another one of my children. And to make up for it, I'll kill two of my grandchildren. What a stupid thing! Right? And that's the line that really cements Ruvain's place as. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, after this, you can't. You know, like, you know, like they say, although it's not true anymore. Trump has proven this to be not true. <laughs> but it used to be if somebody says something so outrageously stupid. That's the, what's the word for that? The, the flub, the gaff, right? The gaff on the campaign trail. That's enough to, you know, after that you can't survive, you can't survive in a presidential campaign. But, but, but Trump has proven that, like, there's no gaff too big to not raise your, your polling numbers. But this is a gaff of, of, of literally of biblical proportions. And, and that's, that's it for, for Ruvain. Vayomer lo yered b'ni yimachem. Ki... You can't take him. I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't suffer another loss. Now, I'm not trying to do some kind of like a psychological read of the parasha here. But you don't need to be Sigmund Freud to understand. I mean, we know this. Like, Rahman is people who suffer the loss of a child. It's not... It's not, uh, it's not, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a psychologist to understand that they're liable to be naturally overprotective of their other children after that, Rahman al-Islam. But this idea that the death of Yosef is, is just hovering over everything, right? Back in Canaan, the death of, the, the assumed death of Yosef is hovering over everything and forming every decision is, is obvious. But, you know, like, if it's a TV show, the split screen, back in Mitzrayim, there's this fixation on Yaakov, right? Is Yaakov alive or dead? They get back to... Uh, ah, so, so, so the, the brothers are describing, in Perak Mem Gimel, the brothers are describing what happened, the whole exchange in which Shimon is taken away and how this man demanded that Binyamin should now appear before him. I should have bolded that. Why did you even mention that you had a brother left behind? Sorry, why is reverting back to Israel here? Why is his name here Israel instead of... So that's a larger question of why is he sometimes Israel and why, why is he sometimes... Yaakov. There are different perushim that are given. One is that, uh, I mean, the simple answer is that sometimes it's this and sometimes it's that. But, and for variety, like whenever somebody has two names, sometimes they use this name, sometimes they use that name. The Mephoshim, of course, want to try to line it all up and show that whenever he's referred to as Yisrael, it's this. Maybe it's somehow a reference, even mystically or symbolically, to the entirety of the Jewish people. It's when he's acting as the pater familias. And when he's Yaakov, he's still the private individual. You know, the way that, uh, let's say, I don't know, uh, I don't know, uh, Her Royal Highness 
Queen Elizabeth II. So like, you know, behind closed doors, I don't know, what does Prince Philip call her? Probably not your Royal Highness, Your Majesty Elizabeth II. Or like the, the popes who take on a papal name, right? But, you know, his, what's his real name, the pope, this pope? No, no, Francis is his, is his papal name. Jose, no? Some, some Spanish name, right? So, I don't know, he's got a brother, he's got a sister. You think they call him Your Holiness? You think they call him that? So, he's an individual, but he also plays a larger role. So, that's one explanation, pardon the comparison to the pope. Um, so why do you even have to mention you have a brother? Because he asked us. He asked us about that. He asked us about about all of the people born there in our household. He asked about you, Pop. He asked, is your father still alive? So says, you better bring that brother. So why did I tell him? He asked us a direct question. Do you have another brother? Why did he ask, do you have a brother? Because he sees they all show up. How many of them are there? Ten. So he knows there are twelve brothers. The ten of them, me, who they think is dead, or is gone, or is missing, but they certainly don't assume that I, this Egyptian that's standing before them, is their brother. But there's also little Binyamin, who's not so little anymore, after all, because Yosef himself has been gone for 22 years. So, so Binyamin. So where's Binyamin? So what's his first thought? Oh, they probably got rid of him also, because all of the Bnei Rachel were targeted. So, they, so, he, so he asks specifically, oh, do you have a brother? Is your father alive and do you have a brother? So they had to tell him. So when they get back to, to, when they get back to, to Mitzrayim, you see those three dots indicate that some time has passed. When they get back there, the first thing he asks is, What's the status? What's the update? Right? They didn't have yakovavinu.com to give them the instant update where you know they could track you know his his pulse how he was doing. He is still alive. Vigashelav Yehuda Perik Memdalad this is the beginning of, of, of our parasha. Vayomer bi Adoni yidaberna avdecha davar baozne Adoni va'al yichar apcha ba'avdecha ki kamocha ki paro. Oh, please, don't be angry at me. You are to us like paro. Adoni sha'al et avadav lemor hayesh lachem av o'ach v'nomar el Adoni yesh lanu av zaken v'yeled zkunim katan v'achiv meit v'yvater hu levado if we take Binyamin away from our father, our father will die. That's why we were reluctant to bring Binyamin down here. And then you can see, you can see the psukim from yourself. Avi, avinu, avi, 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 avi. Right? The presence of the father, who's there just as this conversation, it's a rather strange... If you, if you, I mean, we, the reader, know. I mean, there's no surprise to us. Wouldn't that have been interesting? Imagine in a, a parallel universe where Kaddish Baruch Hu wrote the Torah differently. Wouldn't have that been an interesting literary device for him to have used? <clears throat> the parashiot could have been written without us knowing what happened to Yosef. In other words, the story keeps shifting back and forth from the story of Yosef to the story of the brothers, specifically Yehuda. In last week's parasha, in the middle of the it's a, it's a great cliff as a literary device, it's a great cliffhanger. Right? V'yosef hurad mitzrayma. Tune in next week. Well, you don't have to tune in next week because it's all in one parasha. And then you have the whole parasha of Yehuda and Tamar. 
and Yehuda's ascent over a serious moral failing to a position of leadership and a position of ethical leadership, a typical biblical type of, 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 of moral achievement where you pluck growth out of the ashes. You pluck tshuva out of the jaws of sin. That you, he sinned. There's no doubt about it. But he overcomes. He rises above that. As opposed to Ruvain, who is just shows that he doesn't have the capacity to, to lead imaginatively. To lead. Ruvain is not an immoral person. Ruvain doesn't sin. He has this error with you know, that whole story. But it's not a sin, certainly not of the, of the category of, of Yehuda and Tamar. But he also never rises up and achieves a position of, 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 of never, never finds a moral voice, which Yehuda does. Tzadkamimeni. She is more righteous than I. And that's what establishes his, his, his position within the family and within, within the nation. the Torah could have been written in a different way. Yosef goes into the pit, the brothers turn around and go home. And that's the last we hear of Yosef. And then the Torah could have told the story just from the perspective of the brothers, that there's a famine. In order to overcome the famine, they go down to Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim would have no particular significance to us because we don't know, any, we don't know what happened to Yosef after he went into the pit. Maybe he died there. Maybe he was taken out and taken away in this direction instead of in that direction. We don't know. They get to Mitzrayim and there's the Mishnah Melech. We, the reader, wouldn't have any reason to suspect any more than they did that this Mishnah Melech was really Yosef in, in disguise. And then imagine our surprise as the reader the first time when the Mishnah Melech takes off his disguise and reveals himself as Yosef and then tells the background story of how he got there and what happened in, with the Saratabachim and the Sarofim and the Eshet Potiphar and, and the dreams and everything else. That would have been a real... Story. I mean, it would, the story would have been very different. I'm not, I'm not criticizing HaKadosh Baruch Hu as an author, you understand. It's a difference correct you always have to allow the reader not to be in such terror that something is going to happen you have right. to in a way right. feel the end of the right. story and right. then deal with character well and particularly written the way that it is Barbara you're, you're correct that this puts the focus on character and particularly the comparison between Yosef and Yehuda. Right? who will remain as, not rivals, but as parallel, uh, uh, pa- parallel images of, of leadership throughout. So in order to create that kind of parallelism, so you need to tell both stories, you need to have both tracks going at once. The way I told it, if you're making a movie, right? so my way would be better as a, as a movie. I mean, it's been made as a movie, but, you know, we could... Only if you want to have the emphasis on yeah, of course. Character, that. even in a short story, invests. People are not willing to invest in a character that's going to be that might not be there at the end. So one of the right. one of the things you do is you have to sometimes um, reassure the reader at the beginning of the, the beginning of the story that even in a story of great drama, right. that it's going to have a happy ending. Right, right. Well, no, not a happy ending. That'll have an ending. That this character, that this character will. You're not going to invest in a character that you think is Right, right. Perik memhei veyomer Yosef elachiv. Ani Yosef haod avichai. So when he finally reveals himself, I'm Yosef. Is my father still alive? Now the obvious question, which we'll come back to, is. No, he, what does he know? Well, they've told him that he's alive. They know that whenever... The st- One thing that's not clear in the story is the time period over which it unfolds. How long does it take a band of ten brothers to schlep from Canaan to Mitzrayim? 
How long did they have to? Did they get an appointment? Did you get an appointment with the Prime Minister that day? Is it easy? Is it very easy to get an appointment with the Prime Minister, Barbara? Is it, is it today? I don't know. It's not easy at all. Unless you're, unless you're a Prime Minister of another country. Right. But if you're just 10 guys, 10 tourists that show up, you don't necessarily get, you don't get to walk right in immediately. No, but no, but they weren't. It's not that it's not that they were caught as spies, and then they according to the midrash, they, they, that was why he was able to plausibly claim he knew they weren't spies, right? Because he knew who they really were, but he was able to plausibly claim that they were spies, right? If you fall, if you make a false accusation against someone, you need to have something to back it up with, right? So he's able to say, "Ah, oh, you all snuck in in different ways." According to the Midrash or Trashy quotes. Um, but when they showed up now with Binyamin, the first thing he asks him is, the first thing he asks him is, In the intervening few minutes, have they checked their website? Did they what's up back to Yaakov Avinu? Did they, did they have some, right? To the best of their knowledge, when they last left home, however many weeks earlier, it wasn't the day before yesterday, the last known piece of knowledge we had was that he was, yes, alive. Yosef knows that they don't have any more updated information than what they had just given him. And even that information was... Was you know it's like the old. I mean, we live in such a different world, right? Maybe he's also asking again as a father that I knew how many years earlier is he still alive? Is that is that is that Yaakov who you know grew up with his young child? Is that Yaakov? Oh, so that's already like uh, you're like trying to explain like the meaning of the question, which is a, which is a reasonable explanation. But the pshat is he wants to know what is the matzav chayim? Thumbs up or thumbs down? So then he says, "Look, you have to go back. You have to tell Yaakov that I'm alive. You have to bring him." You know, you may think that you were the ones responsible for tossing me in the pit and having me sold to that band, hairy band of Ishmaelites and sold down the river to slavery till I got here. No, 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 no. But it was all God pulling the strings all along. And he, God, has placed me as the Av Leparo. This Maza Av Leparo. Av Bayit. Av This is what Rashi says. Rashi says Av here means that he became the, the manager, the, the, the comptroller, the number one right-hand man. Right? So he tells them, he tells them, you didn't do this, God did it, and God has made me an av. Now, okay, we would understand the word av has different, has different meanings, but in a context where every other word is about father, 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 right? so he has become a father. Right? But then he tells them, Maharu va'alu el avi va'amartam elav ko'amar bincha Yosef bincha Yosef ko'amar bincha Yosef samani elokim la'adon l'chol mitzrayim. He refers to himself as God has made me the av leparo. But you go back and tell my father, our father, my father, that I am an Adon. I'm the master of, of Egypt. So this might just be a kind of, you know, that's the way you write. You don't want to like repeat the same phrase twice in the same sentence. So for variety, he changed it. But what does he not want? He, 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 does, he, he doesn't want Yaakov to have a reason not to. So if he says, oh, that's interesting. So if he says that he's just like out by it, then he's a schlepper, you know. It's like there's no real, oh, oh, he oh. has no real control. But if he's out uh, Oh, that's, it, I thought the exact opposite. Okay. <laughs> I thought the exact opposite. In other words, I see myself, when I'm describing myself, I describe myself as the Avla Paro. 
Whatever av means. Av bayit, I, I didn't interpret it as a schlepper. I took av bayit to mean, you know, like the chief of staff. Okay. Like in the Knesset, there's somebody who's called the av bayit, who's, who's like in charge. He's like the mankal of the whole Knesset. Right? He's not the guy that's the av bayit that changes the light bulbs and makes sure the toilets are flushing properly. Right? He's, the, he's the, like the mankal of the, of the whole operation. Um, Av bayit, like in a school, is what we call in America the janitor. But that's not here the sense of Av. Av here is a, it's a big position. He's the, uh, the, uh, yeah, yeah. So it is, but don't tell, but when you go, don't tell him that I'm the Av Leparo. Say I'm the Adon. Don't tell my father that I have become the father with a capital, with a capital F. Capital Aleph for Av. It's an, I don't have an explanation for it, but it's interesting, don't you think, that in, in a context where everything is about the focus on the Av, he sees himself as an Av. He has become an Av. What does it mean to be an Av? Av doesn't just mean a father. It doesn't just mean to be the biological, uh, the biological contributor of an X and a Y chromosome. It means to be... What does it mean to be Yaakov Avinu, Yitzchak Avinu, Avram Avinu? An authority or a moral... An authority, the head of a nation. Right? That's a responsibility. Responsibility, right? But, this, but the idea that, you know, the, the, head, the Avram Avinu is the head of a nation. Now, when he was the head of a nation, it was just a startup. Right? They talk about the startup nation. It was a startup nation. It was one person, two people, three people. Right? They had to make those nefashot. They had to like build up the whole operation. And until you get to the situation where you get 12 brothers that are all in the story instead of this kind of selection where you have Yitzchak and Yishmoel, and Yitzchak is in and Yishmoel is out. And then you have Yaakov and Esav, and Yaakov is in and Esav is out. So Yaakov gets to the point where everybody is in. At this point, there's no more selection. And when we hit this magic, mystical number 12, boom, then you have a nation. 12 is the sign of having a nation. Um, so I'm not an Av. I don't, let, don't let Yaakov, Avinu, think that I think I'm an Av. Because that means I've set up a different nation. You know who Esav is? You know who Yishmoel is? There, that's... Right? Yishmoel is Yishmoel Avinu if you're one of the descendants of Yishmoel because he sets up his own operation. Esav is Esav Avinu if you're one of the descendants of Esav because he sets up his own operation. I'm not Yosef Avinu. There are no more Avinus. There's Yaakov Avinu, meaning Yisrael, right? and we are all now Yisrael. We are all now part of Yisrael enterprises and I'm not a separate. Right? So even though I'm here, and I've had this different course of life than all of you have, I'm not, don't let him think that I think that I'm an Av. I, I, I'm just speculating on this, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I can say along with that, he says both times Elohim was the one yeah. who made him the Av. So it's not, I didn't do it, it was correct, part correct, of the plan. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But, but, but isn't Yaakov's mindset isn't it sort of like he really doesn't want to go down to Mitzrayim? Yeah, so, Yaakov does not want to go to Mitzrayim. And so Yosef has to try and convince him right, right, that right. this is where it's at. Right. Well, I mean, it's also, there's so they um, they go up to uh, they they to the brothers return to Yaakov in order to kind of pack up and and relocate via Gidulo le more od Yosef Chai. Ode, 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 ode. It was enenu, enenu, but in fact it is ode, v'ode. V'chihu moshel b'chol eretz mitzrayim. V'yafag libo ki lo he'en min lahem. Initially he does not believe. 
Rashi says, All of those years he, he did not have nivuah because he was in a state of avilut. And one cannot be a recipient of nivuah, of prophecy, when you're in that bad matzav ruach, when you're in that bad mental state. And the Avelut having been lifted from him, Vatchi Ruach Yaakov Avihem. Meaning the whole time he was not dead, but he was in a category of not being fully, you know, fully alive. So the question of is he alive or is he dead? Mm-hmm. Well, this goes, I'm sorry, I you, what's your name? Naomi. Naomi. So this question of like, well, what, when he asks, Oda Vichai, well, what kind of life has he had? What, what, what's he like? What's he? Something, uh, the whole um, behavior of Yosef is very bothersome to me. He's like playing, bothers, bothersome? Bothersome. Mm-hmm. He's playing with his brothers. Why yeah. doesn't he just say, is your father alive? Bring him. What's this whole thing with Binyamin? And it's a right. period of years. Right. And what, what, what's the period of years? The, the story as we're unfolding, or the period of years since he last saw his father? Since he last saw his father, right. since they came down right. the first time, and then they had to go back. I wouldn't say it's years, it's probably. Just say, it. they said my father was alive, bring him. Right. That's why when they first show up, why does he do this whole thing, bring Binyamin? Why doesn't he say, bring Binyamin and your father, and then I'll know you're not lying? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Well, he certainly was testing them. But uh, yeah, that, I mean, uh, in the meantime, right. well, that happened already the first time they show up. That of could die, and he won't see That's a very good question. Yes. No, you know, he's like toying with them. Yes. No, he definitely is toying with them, and he's testing them. Uh, and part of it is to test to see that Binyamin is. Who was that? Menachem. Remember, he said no interaction with them. His last interaction was pretty bad. I mean, wouldn't he say the opposite? Why doesn't he just throw them in jail and say rot? Also, I mean, so you know, like in Perik Memvav, as they're packing up and they're leaving from Mitzrayim, they're on the way. The Torah gives the whole count and the genealogy of all of the people that are coming down, the Shivim Nefesh, and it lists the names of the sons. Uvnei Binyamin, and then it lists the names of the sons of Binyamin. Bela, Vecher, Ashbel, Geira, Naaman, Echi, Rosh Mupim, Chupim, Baruch. The Gemara in Sota explains what these weird names are. We don't, you don't meet too many kids. You just had a grandson, right? Yes. He's not going to be named one of these names. <laughs> Naaman, maybe. Naaman, maybe, is a name. Oh, Achi. But Achi is like, Echi. Echi is the name here. But you don't, you don't mean, you don't have any. What? What was it? Matan Yehuda. Oh, you're fit. Okay. But uh, but you don't you don't meet any. You don't have no nobody has any grandchildren named named uh, named Chupim. But that would be really something you'd remember. Um, so the Gemara in Sota interprets that all of these names are references to Yosef. That Binyamin, who was, you know, but a small kid when Yosef was taken away, he grows up with this shadow of Yosef, of his older brother, you know, over him. And all of his children are named either in memory of the fact that Yosef met this bad end or after some characteristic, a positive characteristic of Yosef, Bela, right? Shenivla Bein Ha'umot, that he was swallowed up amongst the nations. Becher, Shaya Bechor Le'imo, because he was the firstborn of, of Rachel. Gera, Shegar Bach Saniyot, Naaman, Shenaim Biyoter, right? All of the names are... Binyamin is like exorcising this, this brother, you know, the, the, the ghost of this brother, the shadow of this brother, you know, who, whose prominence in his absence is, is dominant. 
And this is also something that we know about from experience, particularly, let's say, in cases where you had an older brother, Rahmanus, who was, was, I don't know, killed in the Yom Kippur War or in Lebanon or whatever it is. The older siblings, they, they, I mean, the parents always live with it, but the older siblings also always live with this. I know somebody who, who, whose brother was killed, and then he was born, he was, a, he was the only child. The brother was an only <coughs> child. And then this person who I know was born as a Benz Kunim after his older brother was killed in the army. And he, he never met his brother. He never knew his brother. He was born afterwards. And he describes how he lives with, he lived, lived then and lives now with this, you know, kind of this absent older, this absent older brother. And then finally, the last two psukim, V'yasar Yosef Merkavto, V'ya'al Lekrat Yisrael Aviv, Goshna, V'yera Elav, V'yipol Al Tzavarav, V'yefch, Al Tzavarav Od. At that meeting between Yaakov and Yosef, he falls upon his neck and cries, Od. Rashi says that Yosef falls on Yaakov's neck and cries more, exceedingly. The Ramban reads it differently, but let's go with Rashi. Vayome Yisrael al Yosef amuta hapam acharei reoti et panecha ki odcha chai. For you, in fact, are still alive, right? And here it's no longer a question, it's a declaration. I see with my own eyes, in fact, that you are alive. Now there's this famous Rashi about the unclear language here about who is falling on whom's neck. Lashon harabot pchia. Od here means a lot. Right? Sometimes od can mean still. Right? Is he od still alive? And sometimes od can mean bekamut, a large quantity. So when it says that he cried od, it means he cried v'od eich, the way we would say in, in slang today. Right? Oh boy, did he cry. Right? Kilo al ish yasim od, lashon ribuihu, eno sam alav alilut, so Rashi says, it says that Yosef cried a lot, but it doesn't say a word about Yaakov Avinu. So why was Yaakov Avinu not crying? He wasn't crying because he said, he was saying Shema. Which makes a lot of sense, except for the fact it's virtually impossible for us to understand what that means. He said Shema. He couldn't, he couldn't govern all those years. He's heard the dangerous line before him. It's the first time he said Shema. Because finally, he's dead. He wasn't dead. But it was as if the dead body was going to perform and hadn't been buried. So you don't dominate that period. And that's why he's saying Shema. Yeah. Except, I mean, on the assumption that the Avot like kept all of the halachot, uh, so that that's 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 an interpretation. But even but the halacha is the halacha the halacha is that uh, the idea of that an onain that an onain somebody who's dead mutal lefanav, you're not an onain forever. You're not an onain. It was Rachmanus. There were these cases of uh, I don't know the, the twin towers or people that you know the ship goes down at sea and you don't know. They, so you're not an onain for twenty two years. Right, there's a matter. Haguna is a different case entirely. It's a completely separate talacha. Um, there's this book that I edited uh, two, three years ago called To Mourn a Child, Jewish Responses to Neonatal and Childhood Death. It's a collection of essays by people who suffered the loss of children, sometimes young children, sometimes, sometimes very young children, sometimes adult children. I just want to read you something that I wrote in the preface. You can't, if anybody ever suffered, God forbid, the loss of a child, you can't read the parasha without filtering it through that experience. 
And I describe here that when we suffered this, uh, this experience years ago, So I recall there, there's, a, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a novelist, he's, he's a Bosnian-American novelist named Alexander Himmelin, whose daughter died of some terrible disease. And he writes, One early morning, driving to the hospital, I saw a number of able-bodied, energetic runners progressing along toward the sunny lakefront. And I had a strong physical sensation of being in an aquarium. I could see out, and people could see me, if they chose to pay attention, but we were living and breathing in entirely different environments. I thought that was the most apt description of what that experience of Shechol is, of having lost a, lost a child, which is you know, really the most unnatural form of, form of, of, of avil, of mourning there can be. It, it, it goes against the entire order of creation. The order of creation is that uh, by the nature of things, almost everybody will outlive their parents. No matter how tragic and sad that is, whether it happens to you when you and they are young or when they die in a ripe old age and you yourself are, uh, are, are an old person, it's tragic, it's, it's, uh, it's mournful, it's sad, but it's natural. For a parent to bury a child is unnatural in the most grotesque way, the, the, the greatest affront to, to, to creation. So I wrote that the Torah tells us that when Jacob is first reunited with Joseph after 22 years of believing his beloved son was dead, Joseph appeared to him and fell on his neck and he wept on his neck for a long time. The Pesach we just read. Jacob's passive behavior during the encounter with his long lost son is puzzling at least according to the Pshat and according to the way Rashi says. See the Ramban. The Ramban has a different reading of the story. Jacob's passive behavior during the encounter with his long-lost son is puzzling. Only Joseph is falling and weeping. What was Jacob doing? Rashi, citing the Midrash Agadah, suggests that the patriarch was occupied with the recitation of Kriyat Shema. But another explanation is possible. The Torah doesn't state that Jacob wept because it would be absolutely tautological to do so. It would be mutar, it would be redundant. We're not told that the father is crying now because he's been crying for over two decades. And all his sons and daughters arose to console him, but he refused to be consoled. For he said, because I will descend on account of my son as a mourner to the grave, and his father wept for him. When a child dies, part of the parent never stops crying, even as other parts may heal. I think that whatever it means that he was saying Kriyachma, which I don't pretend to understand, I think that this reading, which actually fits in more with the Ramban than Rashi and with the, with the Pshat, is much more convincing. You don't need to say that Yaakov was crying. We were told two parashiot ago that he started crying and in the absence of being told that he ever stopped crying, there's no reason to assume that a parent mourning his child will ever have, in fact, stopped crying. They were both crying. But we only need to be told that Yosef's tear ducts were turned on. We know that Yaakov's were. There's a midrash on the top of the back page. Oh, it's late. There's a midrash that says, when they're there... And Yosef reveals himself. And he knows that to the best of their knowledge, the best of the brothers' knowledge, their father was alive when he last saw them. But yet he feels compelled to say, Ani Yosef, Ha'od Avichai, as if they had access to some information in real time. Right? That it was not an information question he was asking. It was a rhetorical question. The Midrash says, The, the, the brothers are, are they're dumbstruck. They're completely dumbfounded. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to be in that, in, that, in that circumstance if the story had been written my way, you know, with the suspense, with the whodunit, right? Then we, we also would be dumbfounded, right? Your jaw would drop when you discover this is... Uh, I was reading, I'd never done it before. I was reading, I, I'd never read the Harry Potter books. 
but I have an eight-year-old. My, my third child is eight years old, and I, I was, I've been reading the book to him. And we just finished it last night. So you read, you read the Harry Potter books? Yeah. So, uh, so it has like this, this very surprise twist at the end. And I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see it coming. He certainly didn't see it coming. But I literally saw, it, you know, like literally his jaw dropped when we got to this surprise twist at the end last night. And that's who it is. That's this person. Is, he's the, right? So, that, so the experience that the brothers have, it, it's behala. It's, it's, it's stupefying. It's dumbfounding when he says, Ani Yosef, Aod Avichai. Oi lanu miyom hadin, oi lanu miyom hatochacha. Oi gewalt. The first line in the Midrash on top of page two. Right? Oi gewalt. From the yom hadin, the judgment day, and from the day of tochacha, the day of rebuke. Tochacha, you know, like when, you, when somebody tells you what you've done wrong. Um... And then they bring this proof from, from Bilam, but then they bring this proof from Yosef. Yosef ktanan shel shvatim haya, velo hayu yecholim la'amod betochachato. That when he asks the second time, ha'od avichai, it's not a question. It's a rebuke. They were shocked. They were stupefied. They couldn't, they couldn't get a word out. There's a posse can tell him that on the judgment day, God will, he will rebuke us. He will you get up there and they show the movie, right? You can't deny it. It's all on tape, right? There's no denying the truth, right? Ha'od avichai is a kind of is a kind of rebuke. The midrash goes on. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah Amar Oi lano miyom hadin Oi lano miyom atochacha Uma Yosef atzadik shehu basar vedam shehuchiach et achiv. So just like when Yosef gave rebuke to them, they were unable to get a word out. They were, they were dumbstruck. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu will, will, will get up to the Bezdin Jamala, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give us Tochacha, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu will lay out in front of us the, uh, the um, what do you call it, the indictment against us. So the Klei Yakar and the Beis Halevi both deal with this midrash in slightly different ways. We don't have time to go into the, into the fullness of it. But in what way is ha'od avi chai atochacha? Well, why is it a rebuke for him to ask ha'od avi chai? No, so he, he could have said, I'm Yosef. The one you sold into slavery, and ah, ha, ha, now you're dependent on me. That'd be tochacha. But how is asking about Yaakov? No, because because he's saying, how could it be Yaakov was alive after you what you did to me, and you were there when Yaakov was suffering? And sharpen the question. And sharpen, sharpen the question. How could you how, how how could you tolerate that? It would have caused. Why might I think Yaakov would have died when he heard or thought that I was dead? Because you, Yehuda, what have you been arguing this whole time? You can't bring Binyamin. Why? Because father would never survive a loss like that. Oh, yeah? Is he alive now? How could you have done it to me 22 years ago? That's the tochacha. It's a critique on the hypocrisy. The, the Beis HaLevi adds, he gives an example which is, on one hand seems to be out of left field. He says it's like tzedakah. Stuck as a kind of elastic obligation. 
It's not like a flat tax. So there's all types of reasons you don't give tzedakah. But, you know, they call you, they call you all the time. Over Hanukkah, I must have gotten 30 phone calls from this, Chazde this, and Staka that, and this yeshiva, this, right? And you can't, you're in the middle of the zoo with your kids, you can't do, you know. So you've got a lot of good excuses. So he says it's in the Beis HaLevi here, it's about, uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 lines from the bottom. Lamashal, mi she'eno noten Staka. COVID, parnasa, you know, I have my own problems, you know, everybody's looking for a handout, I have my own problems. I've got a lot of things I gotta uh, the kids need sneakers and you have to buy those school books and there's Hanukkah presents and there's Sufkaniyot, you know what a Sufkaniya costs these days? It's a serious investment if you want to be a serious Sufkaniya eater. Uh, Right? So you say, look, I've got my own things to worry about. I have my own expenses. I have my own, uh, my own uh, whatever. I can't, I can't give. So it's true. But you know, you're going to get up to the Bezni Shamala, and we'll show you all the things you spent money on. You know, like that thing on the internet about somebody who says they don't have time for anything, right? And then you put the marbles in the jar. You saw this? Anyway, it's a good metaphor. That there's, always like, there's always room for something else. It's kind of a... These are elastic obligations, right? Or the story about like the man who complains he's got no room in his house. So the Chavetz Chaim says, well, you know, bring the goat inside the house. He says, what are you, crazy? I don't have room for, well, it's a one-room one shack. So he says, well, you bring the goat into the house a couple of days. When the goat leaves, you realize you have a little more room, <laughs> right? So this is always, so there's all types of excuses for things, but there's a hypocrisy, right? There's a hypocrisy that we live with that, that's problematic, and when you'll get up to the Yom Hadin, that's why the Midrash refers to this as a problem for the Yom Hadin. Right? Because the Yom Hadin is about laying out all of our, that's the Pasuk in Tehillim. I will, I will rebuke you and I will lay it all out. I'll set out the whole record in front of you. And you'll be able to see your own hypocrisies. He doesn't blame them for having sold them down to Mitzrayim because he knows that this somehow is all part of the divine plan to save the Jewish people. He blames them for the hypocrisy. He blames them for the hypocrisy because the real sin here was the lack of brotherly love. V'yar et Yosef Mirachok. Rabbi Soloveitchik in a famous drasha says that was the problem. They never fully understood Yosef. He was never fully understood because they only saw him from afar. They never got to know him up close. They, 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 they couldn't fully appreciate him. His experiences were different. His life was different than theirs. He, he didn't appear to be like one of the other brothers. And that lack of understanding, that lack of brotherly love, that lack of, of empathy, even though Yosef himself was not without fault, that's what caused the, caused the, the calamity in, in his life. And even though it has a good end, he gets them on the, on the hypocrisy. It's a, it's a portrait of a family. And again, I'm not interested in doing the cheap psychoanalysis of Yaakov and sons. But it's a portrait of family where this death, which turns out not to be a death, it's a death that actually turns out to be the great source of life for Yaakov and his family and for the entirety of the Jewish people. Right? But death is, is and the, the hanging over everything. Little Binyamin is growing up with that picture of, of Yosef on the wall. It's haunting his every move. He's, he's walking in the footsteps of his big brother. Yaakov is... is paralyzed by it throughout the, the 22 years. And Yosef, for his part, is over there. He's, he's suppressing it, but it's unable to be suppressed. I mean, it's a joke to say, I'm going to call him I forgot, because that itself is an act of remembering. Right? Like we have with Amalek. Right? Amalek, we want to... We're going to wipe out any, but we never want to forget. It's, it's, it's this push and pull. 
Right? We want to wipe out any remembrance and we want to make sure that we never forget it. It's contradictory, but it's very human. It's very human. Anyone who's suffered lives with this. You hold on to the pain. You hope, if you succeed, to grow from it. But you also want to forget it. And there's this push and pull that runs throughout the whole story. Unfortunately, it has, it has a positive ending, but not yet. We don't end the parasha and they lived happily ever after. We end the parasha with, oh, you think things were bad until now. Wait until we're about to pull the rug out from underneath you. Right? Which is worse than forgetting. I mean, it depends on which pshat you go with in Rashi, whether Yosef means he forgot or he never knew. But that echoes throughout and that becomes, of course, the source for our long exile in Egypt, which we then have to overcome and get out until we end up just messing things up for ourselves. You know, which is something that we've been historically good at. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.